Well, it's the day we hoped would never, ever come. Taylor Swift. She has officially become the female with the most US number one albums of all time. These are dark times, people. On a more positive note, Kylie's Padam continues to smash it, and Ms. Minogue is also about to appear in a musical. It's called I Should Be So Lucky. I'm going to be looking for your Kiss Me Once opinions very, very shortly. Apparently, Madonna has updated her will following her near-death experience. Did Janet Jackson actually do something kind for our Madge? And can you believe it's been a year since our beloved Olivia, ONJ, left us behind? Today, we hear from some fans. Grab a drink, grab your binoculars, come follow me. Let's join hands across the sea. Come follow me into this fortress. Coming to you from the mountain fortress of pop culture. You're listening to Time to Talk. Hello everyone, this is your daily dose of internet. Well, good morning, and welcome to the Fortress of Pop Culture, where we champion the age of the superstar, the blockbuster movie, and a time when pop music could literally change society. Thank you for spending some time with me. Well, I did it. I went and saw the Barbie movie. I took Miss 13 with me, We sat there in the dark and basically let it happen to us. It was truly a terrible experience. It started out so well too. That's the frustrating part with that film. It it started out, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but it started out with a story that was light and fun. They took Barbie into real world context and it was going well. There was a story, a stupid one, but there was a story. And then all of a sudden it it just enters this very male negative world where the message very clearly is that men have been holding women back for the longest time. Of course I want every person to be able to pursue the life they want to pursue. I believe in freedom. But this movie really borders on man-hating I know I sound quite harsh, but it came at the expense of entertainment. That was my main problem with it. Forget the message for a moment. It was a lot less interested in entertaining us than it was about making sure that we had messages rammed down our throat. The most important opinion here is that of my 13-year-old. And I said, what did you think? And she said, it started off really good and then it got boring. And when you go and see it, I think you'll understand what she means. Okay, a little bit of a throwback, but have you heard this before? For some reason, it came back on my radar recently. It's a song by British singer Luciana. It was released in 2011. 
but then the Lifeline program released a second version of the song featuring comedian and actress, one of our favourites, Betty White. Now, there are two different music videos for this song, but the only one we care about, of course, is the one with Betty in it, and it stands with her standing outside the Los Angeles Zoo saying that it was a nice day, uh, then Luciana turns up outside the zoo in a limousine and shouts, Oi, Betty! The video then goes from there with them dancing and rapping. There's bodybuilders, there's a boa constrictor. Uh, Betty has an entourage of, of people and she's hand-feeding, you know, bare-chested men. It's an absolute laugh. But funnily enough about this song, it's actually a good song too. And talking about Miss 13 just earlier, she's horrified by it. So there's an added bonus. So most of you will know that Taylor Swift is going through this amazing process of re-releasing all her early albums because of that uh, sort of copyright and who owns the songs issue, which is fascinating in itself. So she just dropped Speak Now, the new version, Taylor's version, as she calls it. And with that, she has now become the female artist with the most number one albums in the US and like many of you I have a strange relationship with Taylor but of course I admire her and I congratulate her for that who do you think though used to hold the record it was Barbara Streisand or actually Barbara gets quite cranky about the pronunciation of her surname it's Streisand I don't understand what's so complicated it's Streisand sand it's in the word Streisand all right so let's go with that and even though it's not getting as many headlines, this is pretty fascinating too. She has four albums in the Billboard Top 10 currently. Four in the Top 10. That's unbelievable. It's phenomenal. No other artist has done that since 1966 when Herb Albert achieved the feat. Herb Albert, people. Herb Albert. Yeah, you heard me. Herb Albert. Who the hell's Herb Albert? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know. I know if someone put his music on, I would recognise the tunes, but no, I don't know who Herb Albert is. Sounds like something I sprinkle on a steak. Well, Swift is currently tying with Drake. He has 12 number one records, but they both sit behind Jay-Z, who has 14 number one albums. But guess who has the most number one albums on the US albums chart? No, it's not Barry Manilow. Michael Jackson, some of you are saying. No, he has a surprisingly low number of number one albums. The Beatles, they have 19 number one albums on the US album chart. So she's still got some way to go before she topples them. Now, I fully know that most of you are wondering, well, Madonna, how many has Madonna had? Well, she's had nine number one albums on the US charts. Madonna's also on part of a curious little list for biggest drops from number one. So she, out of all time, on the US charts at least, is the sixth biggest artist drop. That was Madam X. It went from number one in week one to number 77 in week two. Now let's look at statistics from another point of view. What about the most weeks at number one for a particular album I'm talking about now? Well, it was West Side Story that spent the most weeks at number one on the US charts. 54 weeks, more than a year, at number one. 
I don't know if it was consecutive or not, but don't forget that's various artists as well. That was a soundtrack, right? Michael Jackson comes in at number two with his Thriller album, of course. Number uh, 37 weeks at number one. Again, I don't believe that was consecutive, but nonetheless, 37 weeks at number one. Didn't 21 hang around for a long time? It still haunts me. Rolling in the deep. What does it even mean? As I sit here recording this, I am fully aware that there are Madonna fans frothing at the mouth about this because they will tell you, and they're probably right, that the most important statistic is the number of sales in a career. And I believe these are international figures. Madonna is at number one, and not just by a little bit. She's number one by a mile. First of all, we can confirm she's in the Guinness Book of Records as the highest selling female artist ever in history. 335 million albums sold is what they're estimating. And those people behind her are all at around just below 200 million. And that's Rihanna, Mariah Carey, Taylor Swift, Whitney Houston, Celine Dion, Britney Spears and Beyonce. And here's the thing, we all know it's, how do they even measure this anymore? I'd love it if there was a conclusive list, but you have to dispute. Like, because there's another list there that says the Beatles are the highest selling artists of all time, globally. But then that's with something like, I don't know, I think it was 180 million. How is Madonna sitting on 335 as the highest selling female? Well, behind the Beatles, I don't understand these charts. How do they factor streaming in these days? Where would The weekend sit? in all of this. Billions and billions of streams, but how do you quantify a whole album being listened to these days? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Leave me a message. How do they calculate the top-selling artists, even when you think of the weekly charts? What's number one on the charts? How do they do that? Is it fair? Is it equitable? Do you believe in the statistics anymore? How do you measure influence as well? When you think of the, the big three, Prince, Madonna, Michael Jackson, their influence was beyond anything that is happening today. Beyond. It was so global and so impactful. Send me a message on social media, or of course, we've got an uh, email address where you can send an audio message to. And I'd love to hear from you. Time to talk Australia at Outlook.com. Who are you talking to right now? Who is it you think you see? Do you know how much I make a year? I mean, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Do you know what would happen if I suddenly decided to stop going into work? A business big enough that it could be listed on the NASDAQ goes belly up. Disappears. It ceases to exist without me. No, you clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. So talking about Madonna, and I have no idea if this is true or not, as with nearly everything we talk about, to be honest, most of it's speculation, let's face it, but there are reports that she has updated her will following her illness. Now, apparently in this will, she makes it absolutely prohibited that any company executive or company or anyone can use her name or image after her death. Specifically, and this is very timely, of course, she vehemently opposes the creation of a hologram with her likeness to be used in concerts. 
and she probably saw what they did with Michael Jackson. Remember, not so long after his death, maybe 18 months to two years, they did a hologram of him. And in this updated Madonna will, the alleged Madonna will, she also divides her property and her uh, money equally amongst her six children, stating that she doesn't want her legacy to become a subject to dispute amongst family members. And that's really wise for all of us, isn't it? You want things very clear when you go so that people aren't arguing over triviality. And we all know she's very close uh, to Guy Asiri, her longtime manager. Apparently, he also takes a portion of her estate um, when she passes away as a token of her appreciation for being by her side throughout good times and bad. Now, there are also rumours that although Madonna has worked very hard to treat her children equally, to avoid any dispute after her death, they are apparently already feuding bitterly about who doesn't have to keep the original recordings of Shooby-Doo. There was also this surprising story that popped up about Janet Jackson reaching out to Madonna after the illness, and the purpose of that contact was reportedly to put an end to their long-standing feud, and for Janet just simply to wish Madonna a very speedy recovery. Now don't you love a good source? I'm not talking barbecue or Worcestershire, I'm talking about I'm talking about those people who are allegedly close to the star. So a source told our favourite publication, The Sun, that Janet and Madonna have had their differences in the past. However, they both have a profound admiration for one another, since they are two of the biggest artists from their era. Now for those of you who don't know, the feud is actually real. It absolutely is. Janet has had a lot of hostility towards Madonna throughout the years. There's probably a lot of stuff we don't know, but it, it's, look, there's evidence of it in the public sphere. Janet said that she believes her music was more classy than Madonna's, and she wasn't saying that as a competitive swipe. There was so much loaded behind the comment in the body language. You could tell she did not like Madonna at that time. Michael Jackson, there are recordings of him talking to a rabbi about Madonna, and uh, it's very well known that Michael Jackson thought Madonna was not classy. There was a time when they were at a table out in public and a child approached them. A child. You know how Michael Jackson feels about children. And Madonna apparently told the child to scram and give them their privacy. And Michael said, Don't you ever talk to a child like that again in my company. Don't you dare. Apparently he said that. If Janet has indeed reached out to Madonna, apparently it was a written note or something like that. It wasn't a, a conversation. Look, moments like this do give you a new perspective in life. Not just you, if you were the person who experienced uh, an unplanned event, but those around you look at the world differently too. Let's hope they have buried the hatchet. And only a strange fan like me would add something like this. But wouldn't it be good if they could take it a step further and do some work together? Why not? So listen, we've still got a little ways to go. So go and freshen that nice cup of coffee that you've got in your hand or that beautiful pot of tea. Go and freshen it up. Now, I was lucky enough to speak with Jordan Lloyd Beck recently. He's from the UK. He's an entertainment reporter. And you can find him too on Instagram, Jordan Lloyd Beck. 
at Jordan Lloyd Beck. You can find him on Instagram. Go and look him up while you listen to a very brief conversation we had about pop culture, just shooting the breeze about all kinds of things, entertainment. Welcome to the show, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, are you? I'm awesome. And tell us a little bit about Jordan. Where can people find you? What do you do for a crust? Tell us all about the Jordan story. Well, I'm from uh, a place near Newcastle in the UK. Um, I work as a showbiz reporter um, for, I'm sort of freelance. That's awesome. A showbiz reporter. So you love pop culture as much as all of us, right? Yes, uh, but this is sort of my first sort of foray into podcasting. Normally, I just sit at a desk reporting on on these people rather than. I'm one of those. I'm on the tip, tippy tappy and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so you're not one of these naughty ones that make up stories, are you? Without no, a source, no. like a close Probably. friend to Brittany said, <laughs> not one of those, are you? Definitely not. I'd never get away with that. Tell us about what you've learned about this Taylor Swift. I tell you, over here in Australia, Jordan. Let me. I, I promise not to sabotage your your segment, but over here in Australia, the tickets were mad for a parent. It was a nightmare. So what can you tell us about the Taylor Swift ticket debacle? I think it could be the basis for a TV drama, basically. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm not even going, um, and I've been rather caught up in it. I've been, you know, I commit myself to helping friends find hotels for various dates because I've got accounts on things like that. And uh, and even that's been a drama in itself. So... There's a hype with it that I've just not seen for a very long time. Um, and yet it still seems incredibly random. There's this whole thing about getting a code, which kind of works like a lottery. So before you've even had the chance to buy tickets, you have to have signed up. And then you, and then you get randomly selected to have this code for the lottery of buying tickets at a certain date. And if you be, if you didn't sign up, I think it was a window of like a Monday to Wednesday. If you didn't put your email address in, then you were out of the the ballot, as it were. I mean, wow! It was hey, crazy! All those Aussie listeners, of which we have quite a few, text us, message us. Is that how it worked here? I didn't know it was a lottery here. It might have been different for here. I think it was just you got a pre-sale with the American Express, and then all the rest of the plebs had to go to the back of the queue and fight for their lives. Did it become a debacle over there? Like here, everything crashed. Nobody could get onto the site. It was a nightmare. Yeah, there was, there's was. there been quite a few um, news programs dedicated to it. We have a program here called This Morning. They did an entire segment where they had Swifties in the studio trying to get tickets live on air. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, I've just never seen demand like this. I just don't, you know... <clears throat> Excuse me. I like Taylor Swift. Um, I just didn't realise. I don't know when she became this famous. It's good for pop music to have this sort of fanaticism. I mean, how long has it been since we've been seen stars being chased down the street and their hair pulled and dragged to the ground? We need this back again. We need the superstar, and she is the superstar at the moment. Absolutely. She's the one for this generation. Um, there's always been hype about getting... You know, there's always been one act, if you look at the... Uh, 90s, it was the Spice Girls, early 2000s, you know, there's be, you know, and she'll be the one for for kids today to look back on and, and if they get a ticket, you know, it'll be, it'll be a core memory for them as they say. Are you going to the concerts, Jordan? No, uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm just not, 
to be honest, I'm just not that enamored with her. She's 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 a very good pop star, but I'm not willing to to go through the rigmarole of all of all of this. And somebody said the other day she's kind of become the new banana bread in the UK, which I like, which is what we all obsessed with in lockdown. And you would do anything to get your hands on it. And it's like the new it's the new thing. Like you must have Taylor Swift tickets. What do you think of Taylor? Because for me, like. I don't know. I, I I love her. I think she's very talented. For some reason, her music doesn't really grab me. There's the odd song that grabs me, like, shake it off. How can you not like that? And every time some poor boy forgets to wave back at her, I mean, there's a new album about him out the next week. It's just terrible. What do you make of Taylor? That is pretty much um, my opinion on it. Um, I can admire the success that she's uh, had. You know, that's, that's very admirable. But... Um, to me everything kind of sounds the same and she's had the same shtick for so long now like you say it will be an album about a a, a whole album will be dedicated to a date gone wrong or something like that and that's just been our whole pattern all this time so I'm you know I'm not quite sure how she now has enough of a back catalogue to do a stadium show with about 43 songs it's just a C of 13 to 16 year old girls screaming at that. if you've even heard one or two girls together screaming while they play it's just ugh, it, it it can blow your head up so i can't imagine 10 to 15,000 of them in one place so i'm sort of glad that we escaped it this time i'm sort of hoping that a friend doesn't miraculously produce a ticket at the last minute and i'm there cuz to be honest with you i i yeah i can skip this one for sure yeah Yes, absolutely. Me too. <laughs> so tell us about Barbie. Barbie again is, I mean, yeah, we've got two things, two diseases sweeping the world at once, don't we? We've got Barbie, Taylor Barbie, Swift Barbie. and then we've got this Barbie, which by the way, for those of you who listen to the show, you've probably heard my Barbie shenanigans over the past month predicting that it was coming and then it was getting closer. I was predicting it was going to be big. What can you tell us, Jordan, about Barbie? Yes, Barbie, otherwise known as the most heavily marketed film of all time um yes i personally can't tell you how much i am excited for it i've been a big fan of the brand for years um i actually didn't get my hands on my own doll when i was a kid um but i read tons and tons of books and watched documentaries and then it was only in lockdown i thought well i'm an adult now so if i want barbie i'm going to have a barbie so that's sort of my skewed history with the whole thing did you get a barbie during lockdown I did. Did you take her out of the packet or does she remain enclosed? Oh, remains enclosed on a little stand on your shelf. Nobody sees her. You know? Oh, <laughs> that's very nice. Which Barbie did you get? I don't know. It was one of the most basic ones. I have had a couple since then, um, like collectible ones that sort of sit there. Um, there's all I can't believe I'm talking about there's... this on a podcast. <laughs> there's disco Barbie. There's all kinds. Anyway, when it comes to the, the film... Um, you know what's what's really actually surprised me is uh, is the soundtrack. Um, it kind of feels like um, it's been a while since the soundtrack to a film has received so much attention or has been built so much around the film in question and the whole brand. Yeah, I mean it's great. Um, I think there's there's a couple of misses on there for me. I'm not convinced that uh, Billie Eilish's song "What Was I Made For" sounds like anything other 
than a mopey Billie Eilish song. Um, we'll have <laughs> to wait all? and see how that fits into the film. Yeah, exactly. I uh, really <laughs> like Dewar's track. Um, they all sort of give off this bubblegum pop essence that just chimes well with it. Um, I can understand why people would have wanted the Aqua track. That was never... Yeah. What happened to that? Old school. Barbie Girls. No, I actually, I thought that I heard that they were... Uh, referencing it in another song. Is that not true? Do we know that for sure? Yes, yes. So it sort of um, is referenced in a in a sort of rap uh, thing, uh, yes. a, a rap track. But the Mattel and Aqua have had quite a frosty relationship because of the because Ooh. of the the Barbie Girl song that went to court in oh. the late nineties. Um, oh, they tried to stop it. Okay, right. Um, they just didn't. They they thought it was sort of. Um, defamatory towards the brand. In the end, after a few years, a judge ruled that it was a parody and that there was no, there was no thank action needed, really. So, thank God a judge had some common sense. Gee, if you can't yeah. have a parody song about a, a major product, a, like a household name, then we're yeah. all in trouble. Would Padam have fit on the Barbie soundtrack? I say yes. Yes, um, but I've got my own personal issues with Padam. I don't. I feel like I'm the only one as well. You are the only one, to... and you're on yeah. the wrong podcast. I <laughs> know <laughs> it does right. So it's done. It's done its job. It, it gets stuck in. <laughs> it's in your head. Um, Can't get it out. No, exactly. I just, I just look at Kylie, who's been my ultimate for so long now, and I look at everything that she's given us, and then I just feel a little bit like, oh, this thing of a made up word has took off on TikTok and suddenly she's you know so fair play to her but I just think there's more credible things in our back catalogue hey I, I've and just to round off the, the Barbie chat I, I have to say I finally worked something out today Jordan you'll be very proud of me she's 63 years old and I just couldn't work out how Barbie continued to look so good and then I cracked the code it's plastic mm-hmm. surgery oh <gasps> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Magic. <laughs> See, my kids wouldn't have found that funny. Jordan gave me a polite <laughs> laugh. That's all I'm after. I don't need much. Um, you've also got some great news about Britney. No, so we've just had a break overnight that uh, Britney and Will I Am's new single is called uh, Mind Your Business, and it's apparently coming out uh, today. Mind uh, Your Business. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and I know that this was first rumoured last week, but then Will paused, posted like a, a teaser on Twitter and it got a lot of traction very, very quickly. Brittany was quick to promote it on her own uh, Instagram. Um, I think it should do very well. Uh, if, if nothing else, the pair worked together more than a decade ago now for Scream and Shout, so they've already got that footing there and... Um, I think Britney fans are just ready for anything new from her, to be honest. Well, there's this thing. She's said she's never going to perform again, and partly we'll find out in the book, I suppose, but I believe that that's linked to this whole she felt like, you know, a circus animal being trotted out in Las Vegas under the conservatorship, and I think it's left a bad taste in her mouth. But it seems like so many celebrities have wrapped their love and support around Britney yeah. Uh, Elton John with Tiny Dancer straight away, right? And he wasn't doing that to, you know, further his own ego or career or sales. He certainly doesn't need to. He was doing it because he wanted to get her back on the horse. Do you think maybe a little bit of Will I Am's 
previous relationship is playing out here with Brittany. It's a bit of a protective uh, step in a way, strangely. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I think that's that's part of it. I mean, I'm not I'm not convinced we'll have anything uh, solo or, or even any hint of an album from Britney just yet. It seems all a bit soon. The way that she's been drip feeding these uh, collaborations, you know, it was Elton John was more than a year ago now, and we're a year on, and we're just getting the second. Just quickly to the the, the book that's coming out. Mm. Uh, do you, do you think that she's going to put a lot of publicity around it? Do you think, as I do, that she's going to have a, just one big interview with someone like Oprah and be done? How do you think she's going to try and get this book promoted or will she just let it sell itself? I, do, I think the thing is I don't think it needs an awful lot of um, publicity. You know, it's not going to be like she's not a z-lister flogging a tell-all is she she's a mm. she's a she's a she's a world-renowned superstar um hopefully putting t- to bed a lot of uncertainties and and things like that um, loose ends right loose, loose ends, ends loose ends yeah mm. um and i think that the one tell-all would probably be the way to go um whether that's Oprah, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter. Or whoever she chooses for an interview, that will gain traction, and maybe that's the more powerful way to gain publicity if she does the one. But you know, Jordan, it it is important. I mean, they've got quite a few super fans saying she's not, she won't do it because of you know, um, she's really taking care of her mental health. So sitting down for an interview is, I suppose, it's stock standard for celebrities when they're promoting stuff. But Britney. Uh, may avoid it altogether, as some fans have suggested. However, if she was to do just one big interview, the selection of interviewer is really important because we've seen what happens when she sits down with someone who cross-examines her. It doesn't end well. Do you remember that horrendous one with Diane Sawyer where she's saying, ooh, ooh, Oprah's much more open to just letting people tell their story, right? Yes, and you would you would hope it would be something like that. Um, this is what I said uh, last week when I spoke. Uh, you know, the, the Britney has been so protected for all these years, um, mm. and and that's what I mean. You'll never you'll never quite get there because she's so she's been so well advised since the start and being told what to say and told what to do. You know that you never this this is the worrying thing when it comes to one of those cross-examine interviews you never quite know how it's all gonna pan mm. out hey jordan have you had fun on the show yeah it's been great um it's it's so funny because i spend my time writing about all this sort of stuff but I, it's so strange putting it into words because i don't really know that anybody that wants to talk about pop music as much as me so well that's why we say at the top of the show we say step into the fortress because not only are we trying to keep pop culture alive at a time where the age of the superstar almost appears to be you know dying out but the yeah. fortress is also there to protect us the people because you've got people in your life i know it jordan haven't asked you but i know you do that go oh god here he comes again with his stupid big long conversation about britney oh god do i have to absolutely listen to it? i'm yeah. one of those you know my kids refuse to talk about padam padam anymore my daughter <laughs> said to me just the other day why have you listened to this song so many times and she was angry <laughs> she was so angry every time she gets in the car but I'm yeah. glad you've been on the show and I'm glad you've found your kin here because we are all on your side. We could talk about this stuff all day, quite frankly. We could. I love quite it. Quite easily, I'm sure. And you've been great, Jordan. Thanks for joining us. 
thanks for having me on. Thank you. Sometimes amateurs know best, and a lack of professionalism is all you'll hear on the Time to Talk show. Join Tim and his panel of guests as they wade their way through a range of news, music, and pop culture treats. Time to Talk, the show hosted by amateurs for unprofessional listeners. Good on you, Jordan. It was brilliant having you in the fortress for a little while. Again, if you want to find Jordan, look him up on Instagram. Jordan Lloyd Beck, all one word. A huge shout out to all of those people who are following us and subscribing to the show on their favorite podcast platform, be that Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever. We're on all of them, actually. You can find us, Time to Talk Australia. And just a reminder, there are so many podcasts that you can find from the past, in the vaults, so to speak, that we've done. There's one with Dino Scatina. Now, some Kylie fans are going to have an absolute heart attack and a meltdown at the mere mention of his name, because he was the guy who authored the first unauthorized Kylie biography, the one that Kylie herself spoke out about and said it was a load of rubbish, don't believe anything in it. Now... Dino is actually a really great guy. He was really fun to talk to, very interesting to talk to, especially because even though he is a Kylie fan, he's not a fanatic fanatic like you and I. So it was interesting to hear his perspectives about why he wrote the book and the punishment he received in the aftermath of its release. Have a quick listen. Incredible. So you, you had first-hand sources, reliable, trustworthy. You knew you had what you needed to, to put this book together, right? And the, I can't, you know, I sort of, you, you know, journalistic ethics and stuff. I can't yep. tell you who my secret sources were, but I can tell you some of them were so ridiculously well-placed. And that, I was going to sort of draw the point to being from Melbourne. Um, so I went back to Melbourne to, to write the book because I'd been I'd, – I'd, been living in Sydney, um, working at Rolling Stone. And even though, you know, from over in London, Terry Blamey, you know, told people not to talk to me, all these people in, in Melbourne in like Mushroom Records and stuff like that, uh, you know, I've, I've been working with them for nearly a decade. Some of them yeah. were very close friends to my, of mine, you know. There was people like, again, the person that Nick Cave gave the demo tape of uh, wild, wild roses to get to Kylie because Terry was trying to block her. Yes, yeah, Terry was trying to block Nick Cave getting the tape to her. You've got your sources lined up, and you've got Terry bringing the shutters down a- around you. How did it feel when the book was released, and you literally have Kylie, who never normally comments on this sort of stuff, scoffing, sneering? telling people not to believe it uh, did it i'm guessing after reading the book it absolutely shouldn't have surprised you because everything you say in the book led to that one fact which was they have total control of mm-hmm. what is presented to the public and that's actually the point of the book so it shouldn't have surprised you at all when they took aim at you but what was yeah, it look, like what was that backlash like well that didn't surprise me i was totally expecting that and it just I don't know. Again, I don't know if it was coincidence or whether it was some sort of, you know, um, sort of manipulation of events on on Terry's side. But it just happened that Kylie landed in town the day the book was coming out. Mm-hmm. You know, and so suddenly we were having this um, this sort of tiff in the media. I was at the, by that stage. 
I was working at the Daily Telegraph in Sydney. So that was like, you know, it's not what it is now. It's a totally different newspaper back then, I should add, but it was still a tabloid newspaper. So, you know, we're having this to and throw on the pages of our newspaper. We're on TV, you know, people were interviewing her and then coming to me for comment. I mean, all that I sort of expected. What I didn't quite expect was how I'd had a career for, as I said, for a few years as a, as a serious music writer. Suddenly there was just this torrent of, you know, negativity towards me and just basically, you know, being tagged a liar, you know, just mm. at, like I'd made everything up, whereas I never made anything up. <laughs> I swear to you, Tim, I never made anything up. That was Dino Scatina. And the podcast, if you want to go and listen to the whole thing, it's a really interesting one. You have my word for it. Kylie Unauthorised. Virginity, Lies and a Sensational Rise to Fame. That's the name of the podcast. Just go back into our vaults and have a little listen. And while we're talking about Kylie, it would be fantastic if you have a view about the Kiss Me Once album, the one that I call Play Me Once, send us an audio message. Some of you already had. Next podcast, we'll be talking about Kiss Me Once. Some people are going to throw down the defense for the album, and some people are going to act for the prosecution. Even Kylie herself has pled guilty in this little crime. But give us a shout out. I would love you to send us an audio message. Just take out your phone. Don't send us a video. Just open up that app that records voice memos. Record a couple of minutes, no more than three to four minutes. And send it to us, time to talk Australia at outlook.com. We'll be talking about Kiss Me Once in the next podcast. Someone who has already sent us an audio message is Rudy Palmer from the United States. Thank you, Rudy. We're about to listen to what you had to say. Is Padam Padam, everyone, still the biggest hit of the summer? Is it still exploding? Well, let me answer that question for us. It is now up to 42.5 million plays at the time of recording. That is unbelievably phenomenal, mostly because it shows it's still setting an unbelievable pace. I'm not sure if the remixes count towards this or not. I assume they do, so that might explain why the steam hasn't left the engine yet. It's still progressing and progressing and progressing. This Padam train is so satisfying, isn't it? She's closing in on 16 million monthly visitors. I mean, that's, for those of you who don't know, Kylie would usually, during the disco era, sit between eight and a half to nine million monthly visitors. At Christmas time, she'd climb all the way up to 20 or 22 million. So can you imagine, as I already am, after Tension is released in September, and then come around November where that Santa Baby and the Christmas album starts to kick in, we could be looking at Kylie topping 30 million monthly listeners on Spotify alone. All of these stats I'm giving you are Spotify alone. So much, much more global than what these statistics suggest. But Spotify is a fantastic and easy to read barometer. So exactly what does Padam Padam mean in the United States? Let's hand it over to Rudy. I'm Rudy Palma, and I'm a fan of Kylie's from New Jersey, just outside New York City. I think the most interesting thing about how Padam Padam has become a big hit, which I don't think any of us anticipated it being this big a hit, 
Um, first of all, it's very vindicating, especially for American fans, because a lot of us have been fans for quite a while, and yet younger ones, younger people in our community, younger gays, let's say in their early 20s, and also those in their 50s and older, they sort of smirk at us and they talk, uh, you know, they look at us like we're crazy when we say that she's just as important a cultural figure and just as central to gay culture as Madonna, Cher, Dolly Parton, Mariah, etc. And now they may not be admitting it, but they're realizing what we've been talking about all this time. And that's pretty vindicating. And for those fans who say, oh, I don't care, you know, where her songs are, if they're a hit or not, if they you know if she makes it in the States, you're ignorant. Because if this song is a bigger hit yet, still, it's already a pretty big hit in the States, um, but it should be an even bigger one. That means tour dates. That means bigger budgets. That means bigger places for her to play. That means a better budget for Vegas. Uh, so you can't underestimate the importance of a hit. We're never going to get an arena tour here. That's not going to happen. But we could get more tour dates. We could get bigger. And that's important. That's, hits make that happen. Uh, as far as ageism is concerned, it's, uh, well, for one thing, it shows that the loyalty of the gay community. Because, you know, we may be ageist against each other, but we're not really ageist against our female entertaining icons, uh, whether they be performers, you know, singers, actresses, whatever. And that's, um, that's sort of the accumulation of our loyalty has now helped propel her into an even bigger hit than it would have been. And she deserves that. As my own mother says, nobody deserves this moment more than Kylie. And she is prepared for it. She's mentally healthy enough to be able to it, and take it in for what it is and, uh, and, and truly get the juice out of the lemon right now. So it's a pretty exciting time. Um, but what's really special about the song is, yet again, it's different than any other Kylie lead single. It's really, truly of the moment. For some reason, it just captures... It sounds like everything on Top 40 radio, and yet it's still 100% Kylie in identity. She never loses herself in trends. She never sounds like she's trying on somebody else's clothes. It always fits just her perfectly. And so what else is to come? We're just going to have to find out. But... This song, I think, still has legs. I think it's still going to grow. I don't think it's time yet for a new single. We have to see what will happen. And by the way, kudos to Kylie for absorbing the direction from the director of the video. I believe she said she was told to act like a robot or uh, like a cyborg or something like that. Totally chilled, and boy, did that work. It is one hell of a video. So, yes, let's see what's to come next. Let's see what's to come next. That is the question of the moment, Rudy. I wonder what the next single's going to be. You are sick and tired of me saying it and asking it, I know. And Kylie has been very firm and emphatic. No, she's not going to tell us. What we do know, three singles minimum from Tension, all with a video, all produced by the same lady, Sophie, who produced Padam Padam. Now, we spoke earlier about Madonna apparently having some sort of problem with her image being used after her death, digitally at all. The opposite is about to happen, apparently, with Kylie. There's a musical uh, of Stock Aiken and Waterman tracks. It's about to hit the stage. It's called I Should Be So Lucky. And now Kylie is going to appear in it digitally. And it's been described as, quote, a specially created character unique to the musical. 
for me, I don't know why I'm getting the image of a green fairy from, from Moulin Rouge. I wonder if she's going to sort of fly in throughout this musical that is not about Kylie, even though it's called I Should Be So Lucky, just to grab headlines, by the way. It's Stock Aiken and Waterman's hits. I'm going to be front row at this show when it comes out. It's going to be amazing because not only am I a Kylie fan, I just love that era. There's so many amazing songs. And they're pulling out all the stops in terms of publicity for this. They've got Kylie herself to release a statement, and she described the show as compelling, funny, and heartfelt. It features songs recorded by Jason Donovan, Rick Astley, Banana Rama. Uh, and interestingly, the story revolves around a young couple whose plans to get married are derailed. Sounds bloody awful, doesn't it? The choreographer is Jason Gilkerson. He's a creative director of Strictly Come Dancing. It's going to open in Manchester at their opera house there in the UK on the 2nd of November. And it will tour around the country until May the next year. And of course, as we all know, if it opens to critical acclaim, and we hope it does, it will extend and extend and extend. Now, here's my question for you, my fellow Brains Trust who love Kylie as much as I do, is this the musical they've been talking about for bloody 15 years? I tend to think it's not, because that one was revolving around Kylie's songs, wasn't it? So I think this must be separate. You know that musical that she's spoken about and that we're trying to get the story together and it was looking close. I think William Baker was even involved at one point, and I don't know if he still is. This can't be it, can it? This Stock Aiken and Waterman thing. This can't be the same thing, can it? Surely not. Hello Tim, hello Time to Talk Australia. Just wanted to say hello everyone. Uh, my first memory of Olivia Newton-John was seeing Grease many years ago on VHS tape in the 90s. After that I seen her other works like Xanadu and Two of a Kind and I always liked to see her movies. Then I became a fan of her music from there, always collecting what I could. I even had her gold greatest hits double CD album, which I lost, and it's so hard to get now. I need to get that somehow. Anybody have suggestions where I can get it? Um, very great collection. But every time music or movies came on, I had to hear it or see it. And still, still I'm a fan. Um, before she passed, she released her memoir and her audiobook on CD. That's one of the last few things I didn't lose. I still have it. And to me, that's very precious and 
I'm not putting a, a price tag on it or anything. I'm keeping that. No, but nothing can replace that. It's just, just love and adoration for a great superstar we lost. And her music and legacy will still live on. And I'm glad to be her fan. I'm glad, you know, she had the time to do something and she sh she really shined and she was one of a kind. She was just an all around classy lady. That's just my experiences and opinions. Thank you guys. Thank you as always to our longtime listener, John. Can you believe that it has been a year since our Olivia passed away? On August 8, we woke up to the news that she had passed away and yeah, we knew she was sick and we knew that she was doing it tough, but nothing prepares you, does it, for when you hear it? The world lost an angel. Um, for me, it wasn't just the music and the entertainment, it was how she showcased what it was to be a warrior. And obviously not just with her words, with her behaviour. She was such a warrior for cancer treatment, cancer survivors, for treating the ill. Now, I can't put into words just how important Olivia was to so many of us around the world, but someone who really did their best to explain that was Laurie, a super huge Olivia fan who I was lucky enough to speak to recently. Look, it's been a year since Olivia passed away. It must be a sad time of year for you. Um, it is a very sad time of the year, um, August 8th. Um, I remember being at work when I found out uh, what happened. I was in uh, very disbelief, and um, I guess it really didn't hit me that. I mean, it hit me, but it was, I think, Wednesday is when I came home and I just broke down. So it was hard. Um, I've been following her um, actually for 50 years. I'm a, I'm a young 62. So 1970, around 1973 is when I started uh, being a fan of Olivia's. Can I ask, was it similar for you as it was for many of us, even though we knew she was unwell? Was it still a shock? It was still a shock because she's supposed to live forever. Um, mm. Her songs have helped me through the darkest times of my life. And uh, I still listen to her. I still get choked up. I still cry at some of her songs. Uh, great memories, but she was taken way too soon. Such a, a clean, crisp voice that uh, so heavenly so easy to connect to yes i'm an australian you're an american <laughs> how did you find out about olivia in the first place 50 years ago um well actually it was my uncle danny that came over when we were young and i think i was like 13 years old and he brought over um the if you love me let me know album now i was hearing some of her songs um before, like on the radio, I didn't know uh, much about her at that time. I didn't have a computer, so I did, you know, I did hear her sing, you know, uh, "If Not for You" or uh, "Let Me Be There." So when he came over with that "If You Love Me, Let Me Know" album, 
um, right off the bat, I just like fell in love with her. Why Olivia? Out of all the people with great talent and great voices, why was she a magnet for you? Um, she was just, I just had a feeling, I mean, just her, her music, it really touched me more than any other music. The, um, then I became, I would like buy more albums of hers or, you know, read more things. Not once did you hear anything bad about her. Mm. And she a role model to me and to others as well. Did you ever meet Olivia? I have met Olivia many, many times. Um, um, and the first time I ever seen her, I mean, like up in person was when she opened her Koala Blue store in Illinois. It was the first time I ever met her. Um, I seen her in concerts, you know, the physical and others as well but that was actually the first time i ever met her was at the koala blue uh, grand opening in um, illinois and you've met her many times can you t tell us what it's like to be in her presence oh i would cry i would get all teary-eyed and nervous um <laughs> i can tell you one thing that really touched my heart um and it, it's how stone in my pocket came about um, probably like, well, like eight, nine years ago, my oldest son passed away, Andrew. So I went to see Olivia in, uh, Las Vegas and I wanted to be the last one after the meet and greet because I wanted to, you know, talk to her personally. She actually sat down with me for like 20 minutes and we cried. We both cried, um, about her sister, about my son. A year later, I went back to her, see her in Las Vegas, and she recognized me. She says, Lori, do you remember our talk last year? And I said, yes, which I was like so surprised. She goes, well, I'm making an album called Live On. And the words that you said, said to me, I put them into a song. Stone in my pocket came about. Isn't that amazing? You inspired yeah. lyrics yeah. in one of her most well-known songs. Still in my pocket, yes. And uh, she has mentioned me on the interview with Dan Rather. Um, yeah, she has. Um, so for her to do something like that was bittersweet, you know, for her to do that for my son. What is her legacy for the last 30 years of her life, she suffered through the, through the, you know, the breast cancer. And at one point she never told her, uh, her fans that, you know, it traveled to her shoulder. That's when she was in a car accident. Um, mm. In her book, she, you know, tells us, you know, she kept it quiet. And um, I just think she's a very strong, brave woman. And if it was up to me, it would, would have been hard to keep going and going and going. But she did, and she's just one of the strongest uh, women I have ever met. When you're feeling really down, Laurie, or when you need a boost from your idol, from Olivia, what do you listen to or what do you watch? Um, I th Well, any songs um, on YouTube or on Pandora, you know, I, I, I listen to, um, the one that 
is very special to me is Grace and Gratitude. That's a song that every time I hear it makes me cry because that's a song that I had played at my son's funeral. I am very great grace and gratitude uh, because I, you know, I had, you know, the two, my, I have, you know, the two sons. I'm grateful for, for life and what, you know, brought, you know, came my way. And I'm, you know, grateful for the, my family and friends. And of course, Olivia, who I listen to every single day. There's a day that doesn't go by without a, a song of Olivia. Other people might not understand what you just said there, Laurie, but not a day that goes by without being inspired or listening to or connecting to your idol. That's right. a very common thing that we hear. There are a lot of things about Olivia that might surprise people or the casual fan, right? I mean, a lot of people don't know she was a dame. Right. Yes. And I think, uh, and it was, I know there's a lot of fans um, who became fans since like Greece. Uh, mm. People who have um, are like new to her music are reading about what such such a great person she is. You've already met Olivia, so I'm guessing you had the chance to say some of the things that you wanted to say to her. Is there anything that you wish that you had said to Olivia that you didn't get the chance? Every time I seen her, I you know would give her a hug, and um, I always at the very end of whatever I had to say. I always said, I love you, Olivia. And she came back with, I love you too. Oh, you just gave me chills. Laurie, after talking to you for just a few moments, I can see why um, I can see why Olivia was inspired by you as much as you've been inspired by her. I really can't understand that. Thank you for talking to us today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Laurie, I will be with you in spirit on August 8, where all of us will be playing some Olivia music, possibly watching Greece, and just remembering how lucky we were to share in the spirit that was Olivia Newton-John. Well, it has been delightful spending some time with you. Thank you for coming into our fortress here, the fortress of pop culture. If you've got something that you'd like, to say on the show, pull out that phone, send us an audio memo to time to talk Australia at outlook.com. I hope you have a really pleasant rest of your day. Take care.